Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, my guest today is Bridget Bard, the founder and CEO of Bioshore, helping the country return to normality with its rapid COVID-19 testing. When the world was disrupted by the pandemic last year, Bioshore moved quickly, having already pioneered the exact technology that could help with the first easy-to-use at-home self-test kit for HIV. With a mission to give people confidence and control over their own health, Bioshore is paving the way for groundbreaking innovation in the medical space. Bridget, welcome to Changemakers. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, not least because you and I actually spoke in an interview about a year ago, just over a year ago, when you were very much focused on Bioshore as a business for HIV. Today, obviously, we're talking about Bioshore and the pandemic, your role in providing that kind of self-testing environment in the home. Tell us a little bit more about about the business. Introduce us to it. Oh, hello, Michael. I'm, I'm delighted to see you again. And goodness me, what a difference a year makes. It really does. So as you were saying, so Bioshore fundamentally was founded on the principles of self-testing. So we developed and launched the first blood-based HIV self-test anywhere. Could not have chosen anything <laughs> more difficult to do. But the, the learning that we've done in the five years before the pandemic hit has really put us in an, in an incredibly strong position with regards to self-testing. So we've, we've pivoted our expertise now and adapted our HIV self-test to now look for antibodies for COVID. So yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting year for everyone, I think. I remember when we spoke, you used the phrase self-testing is the future. I remember sat there and thinking, well, I, I guess for people with certain illnesses and certain certain conditions that may be the case but the idea that it would be a society-wide issue I mean you, you called it right and especially as we enter the next phase of our relationship with with the pandemic it, it feels like self-testing is going to become very much that future I mean tell us a little bit about how you've been innovating that environment and, and, and I guess what we can expect to happen next yeah well I mean I always say we didn't invent um, self-testing because pregnancy testing home pregnancy testing has been around for you know the last 30 years but but that journey where now a woman would never expect to have time off work go to a doctor explain why she's had sex I'm protected sex wait five days for a result it's it's a no-brainer and the home pregnancy testing is globally accepted now and I think we were in that in-between space when we were we were pushing kind of you know self-testing for other diagnostics but now with COVID it's you know I think everyone now is so used to self-testing you know school children and you want to see your your friends or your grandparents so really the whole empowerment angle taking responsibility is kind of where we're pushing and our our antibody, our people's test, which will let you know your own immunity status for COVID, is really now our next kind of step in this empowerment journey. So the people's test is a blood-based test, I believe, where you actually are able to understand your prevalence of antibodies and your, I guess, your your understanding of the nature of risk? Yeah, it, it's very interesting. I mean, we've always worked with very small blood samples. So it is, I mean, two and a half microliters doesn't mean a lot to anyone, but a very small drop of blood is five microliters. People are obviously, everyone knows something about testing now, but the, the free tests that the government are giving away to kind of, you 
you know, your twice a week testing uh, to test for the antigen. So see if you have infection now. Once you've had infection or once you've had an immune response from the vaccine, your body produces antibodies. So our tests will detect if you've got the neutralizing antibodies in your blood. But what that enables you to do is then make more informed choices. People are always concerned about behavior. If someone finds out that they do have neutralizing antibodies, will they suddenly start, you know, ignoring rules or taking extraordinary risks? And we know, certainly from working with HIV, that people are really in charge of, <laughs> of their own choices and their own behavior. They don't suddenly go, you know, bananas because they've got completely hedonistic. It's all fine. Exactly. Well, exactly. Although I, I have to say, I mean, we, we were working just last week on a big event in, in Liverpool, the Good Business Festival, where, you know, this was one of the first of the big test events where people had been had self-tested before before going in. And the thing that my colleagues told me about that was that it was an emotional moment, that ability to, to be back together again. I mean, you know, your work is about a product, about personal freedom, isn't it, as well, and our ability to sort of, like, you know, live our lives. I passionately believe, I mean, that is literally the core of our business. It, it is enabling people to have more choice, to have more freedom and to take control. And this behavioural piece, especially around antibody testing, is not necessarily for the people who know that they do have antibodies it's especially essential for people who don't have antibodies so that they do know to you know really make sure that they take all the protective measures but knowledge for me is power and to not have access it's just your choice if you choose to test the same as everything is but you need to have the choice available to you so you can make your own decisions on the right basis that phrase knowledge is power it feels like this this is the moment where that feels so right so true and I mean you you mentioned obviously kind of pregnancy self-testing as being the closest that many people have come to a kind of mass understanding of of the very principle of of self-testing but of course what we're now facing is something which feels I guess exponentially different in the sense that it is just something that everyone everywhere will go through irrespective of the lives that they live because of the nature of the of the ever-present risk of coronavirus a lot of scientists and innovators that i interview are out there in terms of the innovations that they are able to deliver to what degree do you think society has kept up with the sorts of innovations that people like you are delivering and is there a gap to close in terms of how we prepare for this next chapter in this very uncertain future. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there really is. And there's there's still lots of education. Just, I mean, now everyone understands testing and everyone understands lateral flow, but they don't, lateral flow applies to all of these tests, whether they're pregnancy tests or COVID antigen tests, or, you know, they, they apply to everything. But I think now that, thank goodness, we're coming back to some normality and especially integrating intergenerational meetings with weddings and seeing grandparents, and then you're going back into workplace, um, international travel is looking to, you know, reopen imminently. I think people having an understanding of how their how their bodies are how their immunity is where they are in in regards to you know their current vaccinations I, the whole educational process of this for me is something we've had to adopt we, we, there, there's not been a choice and i think everyone's still very numb from how rapidly 
this happened you know within a space I think of six weeks of, of us last meeting there was no Covid no one had heard of it particularly it was something possibly in China and then we were in lockdown so I think you know we've, we've all changed with how we're working and you know we're, we're everyone talks on Zoom every day um, the educational process has still got to roll out with this taking control and making the right choices. A, a lot of people will say that alongside that that rapid change has come a change in mindsets, especially with our institutions, where I suppose you might well say that, you know, a lot of them were typified by the mitigation of risk rather than the pursuit of opportunity, if you will. I mean, a lot of those guardrails seem to have come off in just the way that, you know, the way we've digitized GP appointments, the way that health has had to respond so quickly to the nature of of this change and obviously learn along the way. In terms of where that mindset is now, I mean, we're talking in the summer of 2020 or the beginning of the summer of of 21. Do, Do you think that the opportunity is understood by the institutions in the way that I guess entrepreneurial innovators like yourselves are getting a real sense of actually we could really change things? Does that view carry? I think we've definitely been in an example of where if you throw enough money at something, you could make something stick for me there's still a great deal more learning to be done of of how we've coped certainly with the first six months of this pandemic and the response across the board obviously NHS frontline has been spectacular but now I think the the time for learning of what we could have done better where it could have been done more cost effective and then mapping that out into the rest of healthcare is is an opportunity that we've actually there's always an opportunity in everything and as tough as this has been there are opportunities to be presented so I think institutionally and as you say moving to digital online self-testing for me where if you if you've got an overstretched NHS why would you be testing everyone and screening through that process surely you get people to self-screen and then engage with healthcare when it's essential so I think all of those learnings are will be implemented on the back of this so trust has got to develop trust I think on a, on a micro and a macro level so people trusting themselves to take the control and deal with the information that they have at hand you know whether that's with an HIV diagnosis or if you've got a cold, do you test yourself for COVID? Or if you're going to see grandparents, do you test for antibodies? And then on the macro level of, of the institutions, trusting people to make the right choices, you know, and I, I think that disjunct, which possibly wouldn't have happened without this pandemic, is going to be one of the positive things that come out of this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let, let's stick with, with positive, because I think that is a word I would use to describe you, Bridget. I mean, you are a phenomenally positive, optimistic person. You know, I note for the benefit of listeners is that behind Bridget's interview station is a is a poster saying, be bold. I mean, that speaks, I think, to your journey into this. I mean, you know, you, you've taken an entrepreneurial rather than a, a scientific route into, into this world. I mean, does that make you an exception or, or are you now increasingly <laughs> the rule, do you think, in terms of that, that attitude, that style? Yeah, well, I think in the diagnostic sector, I'm still kind of the exception rather than the rule, because I think most people that are in this industry have have grown up in it and understand it. As you say, I came in completely from the side. 
really fundamentally on the belief of of self-testing but it's not been an easy journey and I would say that it was very lucky I came into this as naive as I was because I was not sure with hindsight I could I could have kind of you know delivered what we've delivered but we I think I said this before we say when a door shuts we'll climb through a window and and the whole company we're still a lean nimble team delivering packing a punch way above where we should so yeah possibly we're still the exception. So let's go back to that you know startup sort of position for you in terms of what why you know you say you say self-testing was was the thing that interested you I mean open that up for us in terms of explaining what got you into this area and and indeed what drives the passion well I I don't know who's who's seen our test and who hasn't hopefully when the COVID antibody test is around a lot more people will have seen it but the, the plastic plastic device that we use which is the really clever bit that kind of only requires a tiny drop of blood we didn't invent that so I was introduced to the man who had the patent for that and we were talking and I just thought wow this is absolutely amazing you know this is a no-brainer you can test for all diseases with a tiny drop of blood wow so it kind of started from there as I say this the discretion side of things the convenience the ownership are all the things that initially drew me to that but obviously as we've expanded and we've gone into you know the international markets and especially in countries like South Africa so HIV is my absolute passion and I firmly believe we have got a role or we are playing a role. Why is it the patch? Because, you know, what one thing you could say about the, the, the business is that without AIDS, without HIV, that actually, you know, we probably wouldn't be benefiting in, in the pandemic in, in the way that we are in terms of that pioneering research and innovation that you were able to achieve there. What, what, why, why HIV? I think because there is such extraordinary stigma around it and we we have given ourselves an opportunity to change how people think and feel and for me the behavioral piece is the most interesting and exciting is it's really amazing someone has the tool that they can diagnose themselves or test themselves but what do they do with that result how do they feel about that result how do they own it and HIV has a hundred percent mortality so when we're comparing it to COVID you know it's it's just literally chalk and cheese however HIV is totally treatable now. So if you test and going back to kind of Tedros and his his WHO speech, I think last April, test, test, test and test again. If we were doing that with HIV and we got people on treatment, there would be no transmission and HIV would end. But instead of that, there were 1.7 million new cases last year which is just the most incredible burden. And people won't test because they're frightened or because of the stigma and all of the connections around HIV, you know, through having unprotected sex or having relationships people aren't comfortable with. And, and I'm talking more, you know, kind of culturally in lower income countries. They stop people knowing their status. And if we can just make people feel confident about owning that, we can get the positive people on treatment and keep the negative people negative And we make a difference. We stop some Thing. Do, do you do you think there are learnings from the I guess the early years of of AIDS in terms of the societal response, especially in that kind of eighties and nineties period, where you know I mean that that was for me my my kind of coming of age sort of like period where it was the ever present you know sort of ominous risk there was uh, you know that as you say there was the issue of of 100% mortality and so that sense of of fear w- was massive and of course the the journey to empowerment to to treatments and ultimately testing i mean do you see parallels 
in the relationship with COVID that, that that knowledge may well turn out to have the same empowerment. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about it a lot here. And obviously, we're in a different era, I think. So there was a real lack of information was the first thing. So so one a person in one country didn't know what was going on in another country. And now obviously, we've got social media. And you know, that media generally is very different. But I do think that there was probably not the global response that we have have had to COVID. And that's how things got very out of control. It affected, it was obviously has had much, much bigger impact in lower income countries. Sub-Saharan Africa has, has borne the, the bulk of the burden on this. But I think with COVID, there's been a global response. And I think that was very fragmented with HIV and AIDS. Um, there was not this unity and it's taken a long time um, to get to the point and we're still not in a point of a total global response, really, with HIV. Mm. I mean, one of my past guests was the climate activist Arizona Muse, and she quoted, you know, a well sort of, I guess, sort of publicised phrase that that climate needs COVID's publicist in in the sense that COVID has it captures the imagination in the sense of peril and risk and you know for good reason i i guess in terms of the global experience but in terms of your understanding your exp- your own experience in terms of how you turn that sense of a lack of control a loss of control into something which allows us to feel empowered i mean our above and beyond the medical side to this what what are the other things that that, that are that are the triggers or the clues that that you point to well I, I do think the behavioral piece so even when we were in our development phases with the hiv test i was working with anthropologists which i just i find fascinating about how how human emotion can impact someone someone so much when we came to market i was we we know that that through testing we find people who who have got HIV and we know how to signpost those people and to get them into treatment and support but what what we hadn't kind of taken on board is the impact we can take on keeping people negative so generally when someone is going to test they're surrounded by negative emotions they 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 are frightened of the result they might be ashamed of something that they've done they wish they hadn't done something and then they start to take ownership and they take control of it and they go through that kind of 15 minutes of waiting which I know feels like a lifetime and when somebody comes out with a negative result they think right I'm on top of I'm on top of this now I'm not going through it yeah I'm not going through this again I'm gonna I'm gonna own this I'm gonna take control I'm gonna make the choices that are right for me because I've got more information to make them with and it is an empowerment thing and I think with with the COVID pandemic we're already now to kind of start taking that responsibility and that ownership back and where things have been very suppressed for a long time and there is more information coming through whether it's about immunity or reopening society I think individually we're ready to start taking those steps forward and and you see I've interviewed you now twice and the thing that I've always taken out of our conversations is that there is a, a huge issue of social empowerment for you that actually there are you know this is a, this is as much about the social as it is about the science I mean it's no surprise I, I think that on your lockdown list that, that accompanies this episode that you know your reading is things like Hans Rosling the, the factfulness author that you know that, that the idea that you can take control that there is you know an inherent positivity to you I also noticed that your best tip for life was remember to breathe tell us about what fuels that you know that that sort of um, that, that positivity what, what gets you up in the morning Bridget in terms of that that kind of that that effervescent energy yeah I think I mean I had 
completely underestimated the social tangible social impact that we've had and I've always felt incredibly privileged to to run a company where we get emails on social media messages and every single day people saying thank you to us and I mean we've we've seen obviously everyone's been through a real sort of journey of mental health during lockdown and we've seen around HIV people's anxiety really spike and it's where there's more time and there's you know there because there's more fear but I I do think this ownership I've become quite addicted to making people feel in control of, of, of the, the journeys that they take and I have to say as I've got older I've understood that this is all about the journey <laughs> this is not about the result and your journey is a journey about making a difference right isn't it I mean so everything you've just said there I think I think confirms that is that you know you're you're motivated by the difference you can make in people's lives by that ability to live lives that are more positive and more hopeful let's go back a bit though you know if if I said remove the business and to remove the burning platform of the issue of the day what drives that in you do you think in terms of why your life outlook is as it is yeah I I used to think I was terrified of failure and I'm not sure I am now because (laughs) we've been through a lot over Varshaw's 10 years old um, this year so it's we still feel like a startup but I'm, I'm not sure I am terrified of failure I just I just want to give it my best shot I think that's the driving force and if for some reason it doesn't work it can't be my responsibility of what hasn't because I've tried my best (laughs) and that's I think quite core in me maybe it's an older sibling thing well let's talk about let's talk about family because you mentioned that your your biggest inspiration was your grandmother tell us tell us about her yeah and it's strange because I was trying to think of I couldn't think of any kind of famous people who who are kind of my inspiration but my my grandmother's played such a role in my life and the thing that she taught me that I hope I, I kind of filter out certainly through my children but anyone who I get an opportunity to say is that she she taught me you you only have to sleep with one person your whole life you have to put your head on the pillow and be comfortable with yourself because if you're not then you know you're doing something wrong and you know during the day if you do something wrong or you think you get away with something or you wish you hadn't done something you have to make peace with that I think and and make yourself better from that understanding and I I read that you you said that she you know she taught you how to, to love unconditionally I mean tell us a little bit about that and about how how can you take that kind of very centrally emotional and noble human quality and use it more generally in your life? I think that is that is so good. I think I was adored by her as a child. So I do know what that unconditional love and kindness feels like. And I think what that kind of has probably enabled me to do, and I hope it's the same with my children, is to be quite fearless. So it doesn't matter how much love you give to someone it's your emotion to give out and and to not feel disappointed by people who don't reciprocate that maybe it's a self-respect element that you're you're comfortable in in giving out the things you give without expecting anything in return how far can you extend that though because I think I mean everybody listening will 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 go with it I'm sure in terms of right okay you've got to be kinder to yourself you've got to you know be a loving partner a loving parent you know a loving friend I mean when you start to take this into the world of your day-to-day business life how kind or how cruel is the world of business do you think from the way that you see it yeah so well, that's where the remember to breathe thing comes in. <laughs> so remember that things are positive. Remember that 
kindness is key and I think the whole community element of kind of COVID has, has brought that to the forefront I think we we deal on such individual levels so we deal directly with consumers and I I so want that individual person to feel good about the choices they've made even if they've been mistakes because they've learned from something and then we sort of ratchet right the way up to government and the world health organization and it's not that different much bigger walls to kind of try and knock down not always successfully but i think it is giving it your 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 best shot so that you do know at the end of the day that you've you've done the best you could do what was your take on astrazeneca's decision to not to make profit out of the pandemic i mean did, did you see that as being you know reflective of the good the good actor the good the good the good business in this instance um i think it certainly is i mean the, at the end of the day we're all commercial enterprises and we've got to keep the light bulbs on but you know taking advantage of what is a, a an awful global position is is essential and from my reckoning i would rather <laughs> which is probably quite controversial but that actually we overpaid for tests in high income countries so that we can make sure lower income countries have the same time, the same access as us. I would sleep easier at night doing that. People like Gordon Brown, the former UK Prime Minister, and, and, and Mary Robertson, the former Irish leaders, they've all been making this point that, you know, there's been a, a billion vaccines. The vast majority of those have gone to countries in the Northern Hemisphere. I mean, do you think that when we look back on this, that we may be in danger now of saying we, we let a lot of people on the planet down in terms of the way we just galvanised our, our innovation, our capital, our ideas to actually make the difference when we had the chance. Yeah, I, I do. I genuinely feel that. So so we've got a company, we've got Bioshore South Africa, and obviously we were, we went set up a company in South Africa because of the HIV burden that the country bears. But there's less than a million COVID vaccines that have been distributed across the country. We know that HIV treatments, people have had less access to, to treatments. There's no condom programs running. Healthcare generally is much poorer. You know, we're we're vaccinating down to you know far younger age and I'm talking about vaccinating our, our children whereas there are countries that actually have vulnerable populations that I just I just feel we could be supporting more and at the end of the day you know I was I was on a plane backwards and forwards to South Africa every other month before lockdown and now it's like well you know you don't count anymore I might come and see you tough luck we're okay here and I can't bear that that approach and here we are it feels like we are at a massive crossroads now globally where we are seeing vaccines and self-testing being being rolled out on an industrial scale. Some people feel very optimistic about where that might now take us in terms of the not just our ability to deal with the pandemic, but actually our our ability to make progress as people in terms of societal progress, economic progress, climate progress. Other people are not so sure. I, I had a guest on this show that said gratitude is not normally a quality that lasts for very long. And in terms of, you know, the where we go next and how you feel, how easy it will be for people like you, those that want to create that better future to to not only survive, but thrive, I, I guess. I mean, how, how do those kind of conditions favour you or not? Well, you know, you, you do know me. I am, I am eternally optimistic. But I think, look, there have been mistakes that have been made throughout this pandemic and they're still being made now. But we, we have got this opportunity 
to learn and I think understanding that and I'm passionate about the kind of climate change element to this as well because I believe that COVID actually couldn't have taken traction had we not been you know destroying environments where animals would live and you know we we know that the, the the kind of animal to human leap is generally made because of because of deforestation and you know general climate change but I think learning through all this and it's sad to think that gratitude doesn't last too long but I think we've got we've got to make a push to not forget this COVID is going to be around for a while and there will be the next version of COVID whenever that hits. So the, the most important thing for me to be optimistic about moving forward is learning from my mistakes at this point and not making them again. I think that's that's the takeaway I would have. Do you think that if if I was to wave a magic wand and you were just you were just starting again, do, do you think that the pandemic would have made it even more of a certainty that you would have finished up in an area like this? Or do you think you'd be looking at at other areas? Because you know it strikes me that as a person is that you've got that natural entrepreneurial ability and and flair and you know there's there's something that that you could see in a number of different settings but do you think do you think that actually the pandemic will create a new generation of Bridgets in terms of people that really want to get into that science and innovation area in terms of their career choices their their business choices that entrepreneurial journey themselves yeah I, I mean I really hope so I think with the testing side of things there's been lots of bandits come to town who've, who've you know bought bought rubbish tests out of China and thrown them in a box and you know made a quick buck off of it so I think there are lots of those people but I think we've we've retained our integrity about how we've approached this we've kept everything UK based we've collaborated with I think virtually all of the UK manufacturers and test developers and there has been learning for, from all sides so I mean all all um you know disasters always you know throw throw something good forwards and I think the entrepreneurial spirit I'm an Essex girl so we're, we're we're surrounded by entrepreneurs in Essex but I think people are seeing angles now that they possibly wouldn't have seen in all areas to you know start accelerating forwards again but but yours is a business that has definitely captured the imagination in many ways I mean many many awards your latest one is a Queen's Award for Enterprise in terms of what that says about this area particularly for you how you you know you've brought as you said a professionalization to it you've brought a style and and, and an ambition to it if you just to reflect on the the what happens next I mean is this just the start of the journey on self-testing do you think or or or, or is there going to be a point where you just think actually uh, this this is a mission accomplished moment for a business like us Oh, no, definitely not. I think we're right at the beginning of this journey now. And I mean, our ambition, which I I hope we've achieved, was to set the bar as high as possible. So for me, establishing Bioshore as the trusted credible self-testing brand has always been my my sort of ambition and I think I think we've set our, our footprint now and we're certainly looking now at our next kind of rollout not only into sexual health testing but looking beyond that about how we can start to look at preventative diagnostics as well because once something's easy for someone if if, if someone knows so we, so we see this especially in the in the UK where we've got you know subscribers people test themselves for HIV every three months every six six months like going to the dentist easy socialized trusted you just get on with it yeah 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 um, so so alas our time <laughs> is almost up so i've got one last question and i was thinking well what do i talk to you about i mean your lockdown soundtracks have got 
Pete Tong on there, Lou Reed. There's, there's lots of lots of good stuff. But I think you've got a lovely quote for life that you described as a very wise friend once said to you. Tell us about it and tell us why it, uh, it meant and means so much to you. Well, I have to say this this friend is in, incredibly wise, but I was at a, a low low point and having a having a sob as I'm known to do occasionally. And I just said, to her, I, I just can't see how we how we're going to kind of do this and get through it and what happens and she said to me don't worry it will be all right in the end and if it's not all right it's not the end and it is literally I've just got goosebumps as I've said it because it kind of it kind of cured me and it got everything back in perspective a bit about okay so it's not the end we can keep moving forwards and it is really true it's really a true saying what a lovely phrase and you know I've got to say it's not the end but it is the end of this episode so Bridget Bob thank you so much for joining me on Changemakers Michael it has been my absolute pleasure thank you so much